Hey there, you got Jeff. I've got about 15 seconds before my dog barks again, so I'll make this quick. If you're looking to connect with other customer success leaders who are trying to operationalize customer success in their companies, come over to gaingrowretain.com and join now. Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Okay, well, yeah, Jay, thank you so much uh, for joining the podcast today. We're really excited and delighted to have you on as a guest. Um, as a starting point, it would be super helpful if you could just give us a quick introduction to yourself and give the listeners a bit of background in terms of um, your previous positions and yeah, what you do now. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me on, guys, and I love what you're doing here. So um, it's exciting, and thank you for for having me play a small part in it. Um, so my name is Jay Nathan. I run a company called Customer Imperative. We work with B2B SaaS companies to basically help them put strategies in place to retain customers and grow customer revenue. And so I've been in the B2B technology space for um, really, you know, almost 20 years now and, um, you know, a a number of different companies uh, leading up to that and a number of different roles. I've spent time in leading large professional services teams. Um, I did some time in product management uh, at one of the companies I worked with, um, have led full, you know, customer success teams to include all the post-sale functions, including account management, customer success management, support, professional services and onboarding, training, that type of thing. Um, and so when I left my last company, um, almost three years ago now, or right at three years ago now, I decided to to pursue a lifelong dream, which is basically launching my own business, uh, which is now customer imperative. And so we help, um, we help B2B SaaS companies do all those things that I had been doing, you know, within inside of B2B SaaS companies previously. So. Amazing. Yeah. I think, um, it's really cool that you've obviously started this, um, this business in terms of consulting and help, uh, helping companies to grow specifically relating to, um, customer success. But, um, what I was going to ask firstly is what it was that sort of inspired you to do that. Uh, what made you think that there was a gap in the market for you to actually go ahead and start that company? Yeah, it's a good question. So, um, you know, the, when I left my last company, I was sort of in a position where I could decide, you know, what it was I wanted to do next. Did I want to just jump in, you know, two feet to another, to another company and start building from scratch or, you know, defining the customer success strategy and plan there. Um, But, but really, you know, like what I said a few minutes ago, I, I had this for 10 years before that, and this was back in 2017, like, you know, probably for the past 10 years, you know, prior to that, I was dreaming about what it would look like to launch a product company and, and, you know, be an entrepreneur in that way. And so um, being very familiar with customer success and software companies, I was thinking, hey, maybe I could launch a, uh, a customer success platform company. And so I did a little research on that and spent some time looking around in the market and even back then, it was a it was sort of a, a space where it was it was a little crowded. There were a number of people trying to do something like that. Gainsight was really just starting to come of age. Um, there were a handful of others that were that were you know working in the space at that time to tango. And um, you know, <laughs> I I decided you know there's a lot of people competing in this space, and it seems to be a, a somewhat disorganized marketplace right now. And so obviously you know folks like Gainsight and Tatango are creating the category. Um, 
And, you know, that's not really something I knew how to do or even thought that I want a problem that I wanted to walk up to. So I said, you know what, the, there's still a lot that, that I know about, you know, this space and, and a lot that I've done that I think would be relevant to other companies. And so decided to go the consulting route instead. And, you know, while that doesn't usually yield um, big multiples when you're, when you're you know, building a company and, you know, if, if you, if you want to build a company to one day sell it, uh, consulting firms just don't <laughs> return that much of an investment. However, they do, they are more predictable in terms of the revenue that they generate and, and the value that they can, you know, basically they could, they could pay my bills. And so that's how I started out and, um, and really how I arrived at that conclusion. So it wasn't, it wasn't glamorous, but that's, you know, that's how I sort of arrived at the, the idea to, to move into the consulting world, which is much different than the product space as you guys well know. Yeah, fantastic. And um, I guess it, I guess it's great for you as well, because obviously having that kind of background in CS, I imagine it's something that, um, and I know that you're really passionate about. So I guess it's quite a nice sort of business uh, to be able to run um, and obviously just kind of lend your experience, maybe other companies that are kicking off with their CS initiatives or looking to improve that. Something um, I was yeah. going to ask really essentially is, are you kind of seeing any particular patterns as to the questions that you're being asked from the companies that you work with, are there any maybe challenges that come up time and time again that you um, are obviously helping with? Yeah, great question. And by the way, that that is the other draw for me of being, you know, spending the time that I am in the in the consulting world and with my team is that we just get to see pretty deep inside of a bunch of companies. And, and yeah, you know, that, that is the benefit of, of, you know, any consulting firm is you just get, you get a lot of exposure to a lot of different situations. So to answer your question, um, yeah, I do see some patterns, you know, pattern number one is probably, uh, it, it really is an origin question of, of where customer success has been sort of born out of in the organization. So, you know, a real common thing is, and, and I just, posted on LinkedIn the other day about this. I don't know if you guys saw it, but the, the question is, is, is customer success, is it an extension of sales or is it an extension of support? Right. And I think that's probably one of the first questions we really need to answer most of the time when we go into a company who's trying to think through how to do this. And my answer is, it's actually neither of those. It's actually more of a, it feels a little bit more like consulting in terms of what it actually is, but even more broadly than that, it's an operating model. And if you'll let me just sort of digress here for a second, it's really important um, from a from a business standpoint that we have a an execution an operating model that matches the business that we're in. Okay, so if you back up, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we used to sell software on what was called a perpetual license, right? And a perpetual license, basically, you sell the software. Um, the company who buys it, they sort of treat it like it's an asset when they buy it from you. So they give you all the money for it up front. Um, you take all that revenue on your books on day one, and you can go on to the next sale and try to get, you know, try to get more customers to do the same thing. That's great, right? Those days are sort of over, right? Or they're coming to an end because we're now entering this era of the subscription economy, right? And, and you, we hear a lot about that, but that really is what's happening. So um, in that model, as you guys are probably well aware, and I'm sure your listeners are well aware, we don't get all that revenue up front, 
right? We get one twelfth of that revenue at a, t- at a time. So if somebody buys something, you know, for, you know, $100,000, then we get about $8,000 a month or 8300 bucks a month for that, uh, for that service. And the cost of selling that hasn't changed, right? Generating awareness in the market, all the things that we have to do to bring new customers in the door, that cost hasn't changed. So the business model is sort of becomes inverted um, initially. So what does that mean? It means it's more important than ever to keep and retain your customers for the long term, right? And hopefully even expand your relationship with them from a monetary perspective. And then what it also means is that to do that, you can no longer just do a transactional sale and move on to the next one, right? You have to have a coordinated customer journey with people who are people and processes who are designed to help engage the client and help drive them toward the thing that they bought the product for, right? It's not just adoption of the product that's important. It's actually, are they getting the outcome that they were looking for? Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I think it's something that we're coming across, actually. And it's, it's interesting because in organizations, what I, what I am certainly seeing is essentially is kind of almost CS on one hand, as you say, is being treated almost as an extension of support or an extension mm-hmm. of sales, depending on the company. And then others that we've come across are essentially even hiring and kind of telling us that they're hiring people from more of a consultative background. Um, like Accenture, et cetera, whereby they're actually recruiting people who already have that consultant experience or background and they're kind of developing into more of a a customer success role. So um, 100% kind of agree with that. And I guess with the the companies, is that something that you're telling that story around and, and making recommendations as to the fact that CS as a function should be that? Because I think the issue is it's almost becoming a buzzword, customer success that you're seeing. Yeah of companies um, posting roles for CSMs, but then really based on the job spec or based on the purpose of that role, as you say, it may not be a CSM role as, as kind of we would perceive it to be. So is that something that you then have to make recommendations around as to best utilizing that team yeah. as, a, as a function? Yeah, 100%. 100% it is. And so some, we, we, we strike this delicate balance of, changing the words that people are using and then just changing the roles that people have already described maybe. So, um, so yeah, I mean, of course we'd love for people to use the appropriate terminology, but we have one client that has had a poor experience implementing customer success in the past and they won't even use the words. Like they don't even use the word customer success. It's like a, it's like a dirty forbidden word within their organization and that's understandable, right? So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what we, it, it matters, but what matters more is the fact that there is a clear definition of what everybody's roles are. So if my title is account manager, but yet I'm the person who's responsible for driving outcomes and the playbook that helps the customer get from point A to point B to point C in their journey, not just their life cycle with us, but where they're headed as a company and the outcomes that they're looking for, then call it account manager, right? Now, you probably have a lot of people that would argue with me on that, and that's fine. But in my, in my experience, having role clarity and alignment across your teams is number one priority. I think where, where we get into trouble on the, on the actual terminology is more around 
how do we recruit for this role, right? And you mentioned the job description, you know, sort of being a mis, uh, not, not aligned with, with the terminology. A lot of people now have customer success in their title, but to your point, they're doing a lot of different things. So it, it actually makes recruiting more difficult if we don't align on what it is that we're trying to do. Um, and that's where customer success and using those words, I think it actually gets more important because, because then we can attract the kind of people that we want in that role as the role becomes more and more consistently defined in the marketplace, so to speak. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was going to say, just sort of listening to the way that you started off that section there in terms of introducing not necessarily what the main patterns or challenges are, but that's sort of the first question that people should consider, right? It's... Um, do we think that CS is sales or support? And as you say, it's neither. Um, and I think that's maybe Dan and myself have even been guilty of that as well on the podcast and jumping straight into things like talking about segmentation or measure, measurement and stuff like that. When in reality, the first question that you should ask, as you've just alluded to, is why do you even have a customer success team? What do you want them to be responsible for? Um, and yeah, what, what should it align to? Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you, why do you think this is important? Why is this a business imperative for you? Um, yeah. Well, when we, <clears throat> when we meet somebody new, that's often, you know, the first set of questions we'll ask is like, what are you, what are you trying to achieve? Right? Like what, what's your, what do you, what's not happening in your business today that you think does need to happen? Um, that you sort of feel like it's necessary to have either this role or, feel like for some reason you're not aligning around that and you need some help. So yeah, we have the conversation a lot. Fantastic. And I guess um, kind of on that note as well. So with, again, companies where perhaps maybe the CSM role is more of a support function, but they have the title of CS, they're probably, I guess there probably is a need for that support team essentially. Um, and it's really more just a terminology thing in terms of what that team is called. So for CSMs um, and for custom success teams, they are more consultative, but do you think that's aligned to any particular type of product? You obviously mentioned about the SaaS model or perhaps even a certain type of product offering, or is it something that could perhaps maybe be applicable to everything? Because I've seen probably even more from like a B2C aspect, the emergence of customer success in the UK, um, which has been quite interesting perhaps maybe over the last interesting. year. Interesting, yeah. So um, yeah, I guess uh, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on that, whether you think it is something that perhaps maybe is just aligned to more like B2B SaaS or whether it is something that is scalable across a range of verticals and, and industries. Yeah, well, it's, it's really timely that you asked me that question because I've been reading and pondering a lot about that just this week. Um, so a couple of things, you know, one is I, I'm not a B2C expert. I think some of the principles, you know, transition across B2B and B2C very easily of what we're trying to do here, but we don't work with a lot of B2C companies. So I'm going to, I'm going to reserve judgment or reserve, you know, comment there um, because I think you could probably get other people who are more intelligent than I am on that side of things. But the thing that's really interesting, and I think it's a broader trend that um, we're starting to see in, you know, industries outside of B2B SaaS is that to some degree, um, a lot of companies are becoming software companies that never were software companies before. So I was literally just watching a video earlier where um, there was a company uh, called Zora who deals with subscription-based businesses, period. 
And, you know, they were highlighting Briggs and Stratton, the lawnmower company, if you don't know them in the UK, uh, they, they, they manufacture lawnmowers here in the US. Um, they are sort of moving toward like landscaping as a service and, and the outcome of having a beautiful lawn, right? Um, Caterpillar, their connected devices, um, NVIDIA, uh, Twitch, the social gaming platform that's out there. There's a lot of um, industries that we may not have traditionally looked at as subscription businesses that are now becoming subscription businesses because the devices are connected. We can actually have data. We can provide value-added services on top of them. So I actually get really excited when I start thinking about what customer success looks like beyond B2B SaaS. I think B2B SaaS is like the cradle. It's where it's where customer success was born. And that's really cool. But I also think, um, you know, as as more and more industries trend over toward a subscription kind of offering set that are part of what they sell to their to their customers that um, that I think we're going to see a lot of really more interesting opportunities for customer success emerge because the principles don't change right it's about you know looking at um, you know the the customer as opposed to selling a product right we're, we're really focused on the customer and their outcomes and knowing who they are and taking a proactive approach and in, in, in having partnership. And so the other, so that's sort of long-winded, I know, <laughs> but the other dimension that I think of this on is sort of large and small companies. So if we go just back to B2B SaaS, for example, um, some B2B SaaS companies service enterprise customers. And I think that sort of end of the spectrum is where you find customer success managers, right? So you have a department called customer success that's underneath this umbrella of the chief customer officer or the SVP of customer success. As you get down market and you're serving maybe a high volume of small customers, customer success changes a lot, right? It really gets more automated. It's more of a, a mixture between sort of marketing automation and digital engagement with the customer um, along their journey and having a prescriptive set of paths that you're sending them down. So, you know, the, the, the role I think looks different down there. If you sort of look at the two different spectrums, but that's today, you know, the larger end of the scale of, of the customer scale of who you serve really depends, help, helps determine what kind of people you would put in those roles. Um, and I think that that is going to continue to apply, whether it be in B2B SaaS or in one of these other industries that I just sort of outlined. Yeah, 100% agree with that, actually. And uh, I, feel, I feel like that's a good summary of what's happening now, actually, across the different verticals, industries, types of businesses, because you've almost, and, and I think we touched on this in a, in a recent podcast, actually, with the fact that as a CSM, you almost have to wear lots of hats. So you've kind of got that sales aspect sometimes where, Although you are consultative, you are driving growth. At the same time, especially when you've got perhaps maybe hundreds or thousands of users and you have that kind of low-touch approach, it does become more about actually customer marketing in instances. And I suppose with the B2C model even more so, whereby you've really got to leverage kind of the use of emails, being creative in those engagements that you're using with like digital touches. So um, yeah, I can... Yep kind of definitely kind of agree with that emergence of maybe the differentiator between CS dependent on the vertical, dependent on the type of client base that you are working with. Because essentially, 
if you're a CSM in a SaaS business with an enterprise client, you're going to manage that client very differently to perhaps maybe if you're on a B2C or even a B2B, but with more scale, how you're going to then approach the engagements that you have with the individual users or, yeah, individual customers. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and it's an economic reality too. So, you know, one of the things, you know, we always get into this this uh, conversation about who should be selling to the customer, who should be handling renewals, all that kind of stuff. And, and I think it actually follows the same pattern. You know, a, a, somebody with a customer success title, you know, down in a more of an SMB kind of model can probably handle more of that sales motion because you've, you've hopefully programmatized some of the adoption and outcome management motions that are required there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and then, you know, the other two other pieces of that is, you know, one is smaller customers can only handle so many points of contact before they really get confused about who's talking to them and why, right? So we don't want to overburden our, our customers. Enterprise is a little easier, right? Because there's different stakeholders. So while I may have an account manager that's also on the account and a CSM, I'm still talking to different people on a day-to-day basis, right? And hopefully we're tying all those conversations together at the top most levels. But then on the SMB side, the other reality is it's an economic question, right? I can't spend, you know, four hours a week on one customer if they pay me $5,000 a year. It just doesn't economically make sense. I'm not spreading myself across and getting enough value into a cohort of clients if I'm doing that. So that's the other way I think about it too, just the number of touches for the client and then the economic model of, of serving and, and, you know, helping that client achieve those outcomes. Yeah, completely agree. I was going to ask actually, um, just on the subject of sort of scale versus enterprise with enterprise, I think it is a natural fit, as you say, to have a customer success, um, manager on those accounts because they are ultimately driving that engagement, the adoption, looking for expansion opportunities, possibly alongside a, um, an account manager or maybe, depending on the organization, handling them all themselves. Um, but when you do get to those sort of scale uh, level accounts, do you think that that should, is that still customer success or is that something that should be treated differently? To Dan's point, if it is more of a customer marketing based role, should that actually sit with customer success in your opinion or is that maybe something that should be treated separately? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we, we've seen it, sit within marketing departments. We've seen it sit within the customer success organization. One of the best setups that I've seen for it is when you have people in marketing who are dedicated to the long tail, right? Or the entire customer base. And they're sort of, they're given the mandate mandate to maintain and retain, retain revenue across the entire, you know, expanse of customers um, <clears throat> or even the long tail of customers. And it's dotted line reporting into the customer success team who has CSMs, but maybe they serve toward the larger end of the spectrum. So that's the other reality of a lot of SaaS companies is we're a lot of SaaS companies where it's not a one size fits all model, right? We're, we're sort of serving a spectrum of customers, not always from enterprise down to SMB, but sometimes the more, you know, the more horizontal your, your product is, meaning the more markets you can serve with your product, the more likely you also are to have, some large clients and some small clients, in my experience at least. Um, but you know, the we have a, a, a person uh, that we've interacted a good bit with, and he's launched 
uh, customer success within his organization and the, and the, the way he did it. So they have thousands of customers. It's more of a hardware kind of play. Um, but the way he did it was started with what he calls customer success operations. And, you know, that team is, is driving the engagement and the overall touches with all the customers. And then now they're starting to layer in one-to-one touches from CSMs in the right tier of accounts where that makes sense and it's feasible. And there's, you know, basically there's ROI for doing that um, later. So, and he owns both of those things. They both fall under his purview. So, and that's a large, this is actually a really large company that, that he works in. So it, it, I think it sort of follows where the skills lie within the organization. If marketing is really a brand and lead gen kind of outfit and, you know, customer success team exists and they've caught the, the vision of being able to retain and drive relationships at scale, then they're going to own it. If the marketing team is really passionate about that and they really get it, then they may own part of it. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's that's really what it's more apt to follow, especially in early stage custom co- companies is, you know, where is where's the passion around this and where's the skill set naturally exist? Yeah, definitely. And um, that just made me think as well. So one of the episodes that we recorded the other day, um, kind of a similar conversation, but we were talking around uh, more on the subject of, hi- of hiring for a, a CS team. But um in that conversation, we were saying that in some instances, you might hire maybe more of a technical or a technically focused CSM. And then in other instances, you might hire more um, strategically thinking or commercially um, focused CSMs. Is there also then a valid point there to say maybe the third pillar of that is to have more uh, sort of marketing communications focused CSMs? And they are the ones that would fit within that scale segment where they have to do those sort of creative thinking and digital touch points to those scale customers. Yeah, I I would tend to lump the the latter one there into the CS operations category um, or the customer marketing category because I, I do think getting back to naming the the skill set you're gonna get by putting a job title of customer success manager out there is going to be more of the one to one touch kind of skill set. Whereas if you're looking for someone to to help develop and test and iterate a one-to-many digital engagement strategy with your customers, then that's going to be somebody probably who has marketing somewhere in their title, right? Maybe, maybe even customer marketing, if you, if you can find any of those, because they're few and far between uh, even still. So, um, so yeah. And then on your question about, or on your point, I should say about you know, strategically focused CSM versus technically focused CSM. I think it really comes down to what you need your CSM to do. Um, if they are going to be sort of roadmapping product adoption and you're really getting heavy hands on with putting those plans together alongside of your larger clients, then that begins to look a little bit more technical, right? They're going to be product experts. They probably have worked in the domain before, so they're going to have some domain expertise to lend. Uh, they're going to understand some of the systems and architecture that exists around your platform, whatever that is, um, like some of the integrations that might have to happen. They're, they're going to be able to help, you know, build a strategy for how to take full advantage of that. Whereas if it's a, in, I'll use your words, more of a, like a strategic CSM. Um, I think both of them are strategic, actually. But But if it's more of the business side, then it's somebody who is probably dealing more with, you know, 
the executive relationships, making sure we're engaging the economic buyer, um, and you know, sort of building an overall account plan for how we, you know, drive success with this with this company at really the the engagement level. So, I think both of those are are necessary in a lot of companies, but really depends on like what is what is the needle you need to move in your company as to which one of those you might which which one of those variants of CSMs you might choose. Fantastic. No, that's uh, yeah, hundred percent. Um, kind of agree with that. And I guess uh, something I wanted to touch on earlier, and you kind of mentioned it earlier. Uh, well, sorry, you mentioned it earlier in the episode around almost like you can't service a client with X amount of hours if they're paying you X. So, what I've kind of found in perhaps maybe some of the positions I've been in, almost those lower value clients are the ones that are harder to service sometimes and really harder to drive adoption and and have that ability to kind of showcase the value so being able to accurately segment clients into different groups and then almost internally have an idea around what type of service they would kind of need to receive whether that's high touch low touch making the kind of best use of of technology is that something that you work with kind of clients around really in terms of like looking at their overall client base, understanding the different needs of how best to service those, those accounts. And then also, I guess my question is really like, what would your approach be? So when you kind of go into a company and you're looking at their portfolio, how would you even go about segmenting in the first instance to understand like the different service levels that each of those accounts should receive the different yep. maybe strategies to kind of um, almost approach them. Yep, man, you just hit on a hot button for me because segmentation is one of the things that is um, actually, mo- I think, most important to the work that we do with our clients. And um, so, so we we think of segmentation in three layers. One is market segmentation, and that is what size customer is it? What industry are they in? Some kind of defining characteristics for who that customer is in the world, not just to us, but in the world. Number two, the second layer is growth. And that's where you take into account existing ARR and potential ARR. Okay. There are only four ways you can grow a customer account. You can, you can cross sell them a new product. You can upsell them to a new package or a new set of modules on an existing product. You can raise their prices where you can increase the number of licenses they have, right? Those are really the four ways to expand. You could also throw in their transactional expansion if they're a transaction-based company. So um, so that's layer number two is what is the current spend with us and the growth opportunity because we want to go after you know, places where we can grow within our customer base. And then the third layer is something I call account and health segmentation, I'm sorry, health and value segmentation. And that is the, you know, myriad other things that could play a factor in how you would engage with the customer. So customer health, right? Um, Their adoption levels, uh, whether or not we have access to the right stakeholders or executives on the client side, um, whether or not they're using our support function, how well they're using our support function. Are they having big problems. So there's a lot of factors that go into segmentation. Um, and this is, this is another area you'll see a lot of conversation happening on LinkedIn and other places because um, everybody comes at it from a different 
angle. And there's a lot of things to consider when you, when you think about segmenting your customers. But we've found that if you do it in, in that order, market, growth, potential, and health and value factors, then you, you start with alignment with the rest of the organization. In theory, if you have a go-to-market segmentation that, you're, that your marketing and sales team are using to drive top of the funnel and you know, or really to drive new business uh, generation, if you can align on that with your customer success and back-end teams, product and you know, delivery, then you, you automatically are going to move faster as an organization because you're using common language to describe who your customers are. Um, and then obviously, like I said, you want to be able to understand, you know, relative to their size, how much can they grow? That helps us understand who we assign to the account. Is it an account manager and a CSM or is it just uh, a CSM? And is there, you know, maybe somebody waiting in the wings if there's a hand raiser request to expand that kind of thing. And then the the third layer drives the the specific playbooks, the, the interventions that we um that we utilize. Now, your question was like, how do you take that segmentation and apply the right level of touch? So the next thing we'll do once we understand the customer segments is we'll map out the customer journey. And we'll do that on the the big chunks of customers. You can't map out a hundred different customer journeys. That would be customization <laughs> effectively, right? So we tend to focus on the one or two most impactful customer journeys and then fine tune and tailor from there if there are other customer segments that that need to be addressed uh, as a priority. That's how we do it. Yeah, amazing. I think that's really, it's a really simplistic way of, um, of looking at it, but I, you know, it's super informative as well. Um, almost taking it a step before that, um, based on some of the conversations that we've had and also some of the episodes that we've done, I think one of the themes that comes through is compromise. Um, well, I guess it ranges from your startup scale-ups right through to um, your enterprise clients from a CS perspective. Um, and one of the questions that probably comes up most is, where do we start? So even before you get to the point of segment uh, segmentation and segmenting the user base, what do you typically find are the questions that you get asked about most? Is it, should we create the segmentation first or should we build out a way of tracking that and it almost like uh, usage and adoption metrics or should we first define um, the engagement activities that we need to perform for each of those segment levels or do we need to set the structure of the team first I guess there's quite a few different areas that um, mm -hmm. a team could focus on first what is it that you typically find either that you recommend or that most people are asking about in the first instance well what 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 ends up happening is people come to us with all of those questions that you just asked. How should we organize? How, you know, how should we, you know, group our customers into different segments? What's the health score supposed to look at? And every single time without fail, what we always go back to is, well, first we need to understand what you're trying to accomplish. Right. So, you know, the reason people engage customer imperatives is because they have maybe one of three problems. One would be, Hey, we're, you know, we have a gross retention problem. So we're losing customers that we feel like we should be retaining, just period. Last year's revenue is not, is not retaining. Um, number two is we think we have an opportunity to sell more into the base. We're just not really organized to do that. And we want to we go after that opportunity. And then number three is we're really scaling up our go-to-market 
we're feeling traction there. Um, and we're just, we're, we're not, we're, we're worried we're not going to scale what happens after we sell the customer in that scenario. And so we, we come and help, you know, build a, a team structure and a set of processes that'll scale. I guess the, the fourth um, reason would be, Hey, you know, we're moving to a recurring revenue model. A lot of older technology companies are, are going through this business transformation now from perpetual license to subscription. And they, um, they are trying to figure out how to organize around that. They, to your point earlier, they've, they've built a customer success team and they're just, you know, not really sure why it's different than support yet. Um, so anyway, we're, we're going to go back to the foundations and ask the question, like, what are we trying to accomplish? Um, the segmentation is good because it helps us set the customer strategy. So it's not for, when we do segmentation with our clients, it's not just about putting them in different groups so that we can, uh, basically attack them with, a with an engagement model. It's actually putting them in different groups so that we can look at the business that way. Okay. So we can like, when we, when we look at a segment, we look at the number of customers in it. We look at the amount of revenue in it, the average, you know, contract value, the average contract duration, the lifetime value of that segment, um, the growth opportunity in that segment. We look at tons of different metrics and try to understand, okay, from a business standpoint, where's our biggest opportunity either to retain better or to grow better? And how do we align that back with what the go-to-market teams are doing so that we have a really aligned attack on the markets that we're trying to, to serve from an ideal client profile perspective. Um, so that's generally why we start there because it allows us to, to put map our customer success function and activity to a business outcome that we're trying to achieve, right? Cause if you go try to talk to your CEO or your, you know, your board about the investment you feel like you need to make in customer success, that's great. Like conceptually everybody will get that. But when it comes to trying to understand how many resources you need and what roles they need to play and what are they going to be doing, what impact are they going to have, people want to know that too. And so that's why we always tend to start with the business case. Um, now, that being said, we also have customers where we just start by instilling the principles like, hey, you're, making, you're, you're on this path of becoming more customer-centric so that you can really thrive in the subscription world. So we're just going to start with some basics like helping your sales and delivery teams you know, smooth out that process of transition between pre-sales and, and becoming a customer and onboarding, um, account reviews and success planning, that type of thing, health, health scoring, renewal tracking and management. Like sometimes we'll just come in and attack a very specific problem so that we have a good starting point. Sorry. I know that was long winded. I talked way too much. I feel like. <laughs> no, no, lo absolutely love it. <laughs> um, like, really like insightful as well so um no thank you and something something that actually just came to mind then i think that one of the biggest challenges and definitely something that we've spoke to a lot of people around is making a case for custom success within within an organization mm -hmm. and although for anyone within customer success it's almost a no-brainer right we kind of know the role we play we know the influence that we have but for maybe ceos uh, chief revenue officers that maybe oversee customer success from a top level in a lot of companies, how do you help them see the value? Because where we're not always driving revenue, as an AM would, you know, they've got kind of a number on their head, they can show at the end of the year, well, I brought in this amount of business additional or secured this amount of growth. 
And especially for companies where CS may even be seen as more of a support role, although it's actually not, and it's, you know, fairly consultative. Like, how would you go about positioning that use case? And I think that comes into play and, and something that you spoke about was, well, really, you can't look at what you've got. You almost need to look at the problem and then work out the best solution for that. And it may even mean the instances that you need to double the headcount that you have within your customer success yep. to deliver what you need for them to be successful. But how would you go about approaching a CEO with that type of information? Yeah, so let's do this. For the sake of this part of the conversation, let's just take support off the table. Support's table stakes, right? So if, if, it doesn't matter what you're calling it. If you're calling, calling it customer success and you're doing support, we have to provide support to our clients. I call it the dial tone of the organization. And there are certain metrics that are associated with support, right? Like, you know, average time, you know, to, to resolution. Um, you know, if you're a phone support, like handle time for the call, like there's all kinds of metrics and we know what good looks like for support. What I think um, we have a harder time with is, is obviously the CS piece because it's a very indirect thing. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at other functions in the organization that have similar challenges and sort of justifying their existence, sometimes you see this in marketing because not, you know, <laughs> contrary to what a lot of people think, it's not, you know, in marketing, you can't really just put a dollar in and, and, and predict what comes out sometimes, um, especially when you're talking about building your brand. Same thing with customer success, right? Now, that being said, I have a very strong bias toward tying customer success to revenue because if they are actually playing that that proactive role and they're actually driving the customer relationship then the outcomes that we're looking for are the customer's got to be successful but the outcomes we're looking for that from that are retention and expansion okay now that does not mean that they have to own driving those transactions right they don't have to be a closer to be tied to revenue. So a lot of the times when I build a comp plan for a CS team, revenue renewal, um, revenue expansion will actually be part of those comp plans. But the comp plan for a CSM is much less variable, right? There's a much bigger portion of their comp plan that's usually the, the base portion. So it's going to be like an 80-20 or 75-25 or even an 85-15 kind of plan. So I like to orient towards revenue because it keeps everybody's eye on the prize. But, um, you know, and, and I think the way you justify creating the role is the same way, right? Like, what are we trying to protect uh, in terms of the, the customers that we have today and the revenue that they represent? What are we trying to expand and grow? And, and oftentimes, um, you know, you'll find that if you just change that conversation a little bit and orient towards what, the people who have to make the investment in that role are looking for, which is revenue and cost, then you'll have a much easier time making the case for the headcount that you need because you're talking in the language of the people who are going to approve the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes complete sense. And I think that's probably why it's so important as well to be able to tie CS to revenue so that you can show the impact that it has, as you mentioned there, the same with marketing. Um, they have to kind of go through that same process to show, you know, this is how many leads we converted. This is the eventual sales that kind of came from those leads. And I guess it's almost similar with CS. We need to kind of convert those engagements into, you know, retention metrics for revenue 
and then also into further expansion um, opportunities that come from the engagements that CS have. Yeah, and, and the other thing that that I think we'll see more and more begin to happen in certain types of businesses is that CS will also be responsible for helping generate referral-based leads and references that support new logo sales. This does happen today in a lot of companies, actually. Um, but, you know, it's really valuable to be able to not just create a customer that stays for a long time. It's even more valuable if they stay for a long time and they will serve as a reference for us and they'll do case studies and they'll speak publicly on our behalf. Like, man, what's the value of that? So I think there's a lot of ways that we could be, um, you know, showing the value of customer success relative to metrics that budget approvers understand. Again, revenue is where my head goes. Yeah, I was going to ask as well in terms of, I guess, more financial metrics. One of the um, sort of topics that comes up often as well is, and it'd be great to get your opinion on this in terms of measuring cost of service. And I guess that kind of links to the segmentation piece that we were talking about. But do you recommend to people that they should try and calculate that? Or does that become a bit complex in terms of trying to understand how much is it costing us to have a, a CSM service in this specific type of client? How much can we afford to uh, invest in them in terms of time um, and deliverables and stuff like that? And um, I was going to say, yeah, just, I, oh, apologies. I was yeah, go say, ahead, just, sorry. just to add to that as well, especially where you've got like a model whereby you have both a CSM and an AM, almost the cost of service is doubled automatically from having like two points of contact, especially yeah. over that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the way that I normally begin to approach this discussion is back to the segmentation and the gross margin that's associated with um, with each segment. So it's another metric we try to look at across the segments. If you can, if you're, if you can identify which resources are being utilized for which customer segments, that can be really valuable because you may find that one segment while it may be growing very quickly, the gross margin is, you know, really not good. And you need to think long and hard about that segment of business and whether it's your, you know, what, what you're either going to do to bring that gross margin up or whether that's the right ideal client fit that you need. Um, so I tend to start from a segment level perspective on that question. And then once you understand what segment level gross margin looks like, then you can break it down. By the way, all this is predicated, when I say gross margin, um, you know, that we're assuming for the purposes of this discussion, and this is where we get into like the financial accounting side of things, but that customer success managers are counted in what's called cost of goods sold, right? Which is basically what you subtract from revenue to get gross margin. So if that's the case, then you know, gross margin is the thing to look at. Now, I've worked at a company just recently where we decided to move uh, the cost of customer success out of cost of goods sold and into sales and marketing. Okay, so that begins to impact your operating margin, not your gross margin. <laughs> so these questions can get very nuanced, but just to keep it simple, you could, um, you could very easily you know, create pro forma metrics that show you what your cost to serve those uh, each, each segment of customers is relative to the types of resources that you're putting on those accounts. I think where it gets hard to do that is when you have 
too few resources servicing way too many accounts, right? And, and you really don't know the impact that they're having or the cost that they that they have associated with with any of those segments because of that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess it goes back to what we were saying in terms of, I guess, being smarter with the scale versus the enterprise as well and understanding which activities can we automate but still have a personalized element versus the ones that do require those sort of uh, human touch points as well, which kind of leads me to my next question, which was um, the past couple of minutes we've been focusing more on, I guess, measuring the financial benefits and the operating benefits as a CS team as a whole. Um, But if I'm an individual CSM, what are the main things that you recommend people report on and analyze and measure for their own sort of portfolio uh, portfolio of clients that they would typically service from a CS perspective? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so revenue, retention, and expansion are great metrics to hold everybody accountable to, but they are lagging metrics, right? Would you agree? Because they're we don't really know it, it they are they aren't telling us a predictive story so um what i generally recommend to our clients is you know as we begin to map out the customer journey and understand what the levers are like what are our activity levers that can move the needle on revenue and you know the revenue retention and expansion it's those leading indicators that we want to measure on sort of like a weekly basis just to make sure the right level of activity is there, um, to, you know, just to, to support that. So are we touching all of our clients, you know, at an appropriate cadence and do we have, have we identified the right number of contacts and even basic things like is the, is the data in Salesforce for all of our contacts up to date and have conversations been logged um, and I said Salesforce is this, everybody uses it, but I think, you know, more generically, the CRM, are, are we logging our conversations and touch points there? Um, I've seen people try to bonus and incentivize and judge their CSMs on like customer sentiment basis kind of uh, scenario where they might incorporate NPS into that, but that's really not fair, right? Because NPS is a brand level uh, metric and everything, everything can impact that from the level of service they're getting out of the support team to the, the fit of the product that they bought. Sometimes a CSM can't overcome that, right? If, if I sold, if we sold a customer, a product that is not a good fit for what they do, which, happens, right? I mean, it's going to happen. It happens all the time in SaaS businesses. Then there's no chance I can ever make them a nine or a 10 on, on an NPS. So anyway, I tend to, to shy away from those kind of things. But um, what are the activities that we expect um, to drive revenue, essentially, and then measure those? Uh, and, and and customer outcomes. We, we want to be able to measure what impacts customer outcomes because we know that impacts retention as well. Um, the only other point I would make on that is that those should be somewhat fluid. The things that you're watching and driving and monitoring with, with the CSM team are likely to change over the course of a year as the competitive landscape changes, as the product changes, uh, as our initiatives and our strategy you know, evolve. 
So the other thing is don't set it and forget it. You should go back and revisit those things pretty, pretty frequently to make sure we're still pursuing the activities that are generating value for our customers and then generating retention and expansion for us. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, as you say, revenue, retention, expansion, they're definitely CS metrics, but they're maybe, I guess ultimately they're more of a team metric, but those three things can also be impacted by, as you've kind of already alluded to, they can be impacted by so many other elements. Like, you know, if you suddenly have a new product development, that could lead to expansion opportunities or it could increase the NPS score and therefore the the retention rate and stuff like that. And it's not necessarily a direct impact of CS. Whereas, as you sort of said, the, the, the things that they are in control of are the stakeholder management and the engagement and the touch points and stuff like that. So that's perhaps what the individual CSM should be measured on. Yeah. Um, just because they, that's the stuff they have more control over. Yeah. I like the way you put that. There, there's things that they can influence and there's things they can control and we should definitely be you know, managing toward the things that we can control. I didn't lose you guys, did I? <laughs> Sorry, we both on mute then. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, completely agree. The measurement bit is, and it's definitely something that we've noticed as well from the, um, the other episodes in terms of almost having the team goals and the individual goals. Um, one of the other things that, that does come up is more, I guess, KPI-based as well. And do you recommend to teams that they would set regular KPIs? And there's two um, sort of schools of thoughts here. And one is that, you can kind of do a bit of overkill in terms of we need to do a minimum of 20 um, touch points per quarter Ooh. or something like that, yeah. um, which yeah. my, my personal opinion is that it is a bit overkill because I guess the idea is that if you have a customer first approach, you should be understanding what are their expectations and what do they need to be uh, successful rather than just make, making sure that you're doing regular touch points just for the sake of doing them. Yeah. Uh, it's a great point. Like just <laughs> not every customer wants to be contacted that frequently. Um, and you could be doing damage to the relationship by forcing that kind of activity. So it's a delicate balance. Um, I, I think, you know, the idea that we would have a sort of a, an always up to date perspective of the help of the accounts and any CSMs patch would be really, you know, that's, that's the thing that I'm really looking for from a CSM. And then are they engaging to try to drive the right set of behaviors or the right set of outcomes um, along the way? You know, it, it really does get very situational very quickly. Um, but I would say, yeah, I mean, KPIs are great, but it goes back to what I said earlier. There's a difference between leading and lagging indicators. And I think we need to be, be careful to make sure we're measuring things that really are going to move the needle first for our customers. And then second, you know, for us by extension and, um, and then make sure that the things that are true today are still true or, or make adjustments, you know, next quarter and the next quarter and the next quarter. But, you know, the other thing we see a lot of is people getting KPI crazy. So they track, you know, 10, 15, 20 different KPIs, which is generally too much, right? There's, there's just not, you can't really learn a lot from that. Like, what are the two or three things that you can do that are really going to move the needle for your customers and, and on your retention and expansion and like really focus on those? 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think sometimes, and you touched on this about even when maybe the product isn't the right fit for the customer, they've kind of almost been missold it, not intentionally, but they've kind of got access. They find that it isn't a great fit. And the problem with that, it then gets handed off to an account manager, a customer customer success manager. It gets put into the risk kind of almost segmentation. And then it's like, what are we going to be doing to kind of try to drive adoption with that customer? And in some instances, because it isn't the right product fit, you can spend a hell of a lot of time, you know, reaching out yep. via calls, emails, training sessions, where you know, it's just not going to have any effect. And, and the reason that CSMs might be motivated to do that is because there's a KPI in place in order to drive that behavior. So something that I'm certainly even thinking about, like a lot of the time when I'm doing an activity is like, what is the outcome of this that I'm expecting? Like, what is the purpose behind that? And I think sometimes, like you say, it's really focusing on those activities that are going to move the needle as opposed to just doing something because you either want to be seen as being busy or you just think that, you know, it's, it's kind of expected in a way. And I guess it just goes back to mapping that customer journey accurately, understanding the, the activities that are going to have the best impact and then just sort of doubling down on those. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. You really have to, to focus in on what's going to work, on what's going to work for, for your specific customer base, yep. Perfect. So um, something we've, we've kind of been asking about, and it'd be really interesting to get your sort of um, thoughts on this, are just generally like trends within customer success at the moment. So I imagine you're probably seeing the emergence of, of different trends by like verticals, different companies. And we kind of touched on this at the start, but um, I suppose what are the, what are the kind of key things that you see at the moment in terms of the change in CS landscape and future predictions within customer success? Yeah, um, probably well, maybe maybe three things. So so one is you know like I I did mention this earlier. I think in the early days of customer success, it was really looked at as more of an adoption, leading indicator to retention and growth, but not always the end state. So what what I see now and what I actually, what we try to do at customer imperative is espouse more of an outcomes type of mentality around um, what the customer is now trying to achieve. And they're the center of the universe as opposed to our product being at the center of the universe. So that's, that's number one. I think we'll continue to see that. Number two um, is more of a continued push to map the role of customer success into the revenue story. Okay. And I, I say that again, loosely, you know, you sort of echo what I said a little bit earlier too, is that, um, you know, more and more companies are, are feeling like they need to justify the, the existence of customer success relative to, of a customer success team relative to the, the revenue that they, they impact. And I think that's spot on, right? You can't just make an investment and not really understand what the ROI is that you're going to get on it with any function of your organization. And so I think that's just a maturing that's naturally happening. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's actually a really, really good thing because it does tie the customer success team to the business outcome that we are trying to achieve. Cause like, let's face it, like we want our customers to be successful. They need to be successful, but we need them to be successful so we can be successful. It's a very symbiotic kind of thing. So um, that's number two. And then number three, I think is just the continued evolution of automation to help drive scale and what we're doing 
with our customers. So, um, you know, not only are we tracking conversations and touch points and all that kind of manual stuff that we do with customers, but, you know, the beauty of the SaaS model and really even beyond SaaS into these other industries that we talked about earlier that are, that are beginning to provide subscription offerings to their customers generates a lot of data that we can use to help better understand our customers. So on one hand, it's about understanding their health and their usage and being able to intervene when there may be potential challenges ahead, but it's also data that we can use to better understand the markets that we serve and leverage that data for benchmarking and going back to our customers to help them understand where they fit in terms of their maturity and expertise and, and, um, and, and some of the things that they're, that they're trying to get good at themselves, their own internal journey that they're on. Um, so I think those are the, the three big things that, that I see. I'm curious, I mean, do you guys see other things or have you, have you hit on any interesting, you know, themes in your, in all your different podcasts that you've done so far? Yeah, no, I mean, just, just first, I guess, kind of around, especially automation, that's something that I'm definitely seeing the emergence of as more of a trend. And you, you kind of mentioned it there with like the sort of almost CS operations sort of analyst type role emerging now, because there is so much data there. And I think the biggest way to get resource out of your customer success team is to really work out in that customer journey and in shaping that, what is actually working, what activity is going to deliver the best value. And, and kind of data is the best way of being able to kind of see and get that picture. So I think that's probably the biggest emergence that, that I've seen as a, as a trend. The other thing that has come up slightly, and um, I guess it's probably still too early to tell, is just the um, kind of, uh, oh, I've, got the, <laughs> I've got the word now, with regards to the um, kind of usage economy, that's definitely consumption model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so with that kind of consumption model emerging, um, I know it's kind of early days at the moment with like Amazon sort of web services. But if that is something that you know kind of t- almost disrupts SaaS in a way, whereby people are oh, yeah. what they use, then customer success is even more imperative in that because really it's down for us to kind of drive usage in order to drive revenues. And as a result of that, we would play an even bigger part in terms of the whole kind of revenue piece, I guess. But, um, and I guess kind of on that actually, is that anything that you've had conversations around with clients or um, perhaps maybe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We have had multiple clients, I'm trying to think four or five at this point now, that have what I would call a a transactional or a usage-based revenue model. And, you know, a couple of them are payment companies, basically, they accept payments on behalf of their clients, and they take a cut of each payment. And that's how they generate revenue. Some of them are, um, are payments companies going out the other way, like they're making payments on behalf of their customers and taking a cut of that transaction. Um, so, and then, yeah, so absolutely. And to me, that's the, almost the purest form of customer success, as well, because, you are um, really your your success is 100% dependent on their success, and there's no subscription fees involved. It's even it's it's even that much more pure, right? Because <laughs> you they they literally have to uh, get the outcomes that they're looking for before you make a dime. And so uh, yeah, we've worked with a number of those companies, and they're really actually a lot of fun to work with because you can move the needle 
a little more quickly on revenue through adoption and knowing that adoption is is actually you know if the product is 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 solid it's 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 their adoption of that product is is helping them meet their their end state goal themselves and in theory if they're doing more transactions they're doing better um depending on what the model is so yes see it a lot and by the way i think there's also I don't have any data to support this. I'm sure somebody out there has data on this, but I think that transactional companies that have sort of this reoccurring revenue stream, but it's just sort of perpetual. You never, there's not like a renewal involved. It's just, Hey, you're, these people are using the platform until they're not. I actually think those companies are probably more valuable in terms of their enterprise valuation, uh, even than subscription companies. Um, but uh, again, I don't have the data to support that, but, but that's my hunch. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's definitely an interesting trend, uh, to keep an eye on over the, the coming years. I think, yeah, I completely agree. There'll be a lot more businesses that start to move towards, um, that type of, of model. Yep. Yep. I think the kind of sure. good thing about that as well is like, if your product is amazing and your clients love your products and they're using, I think probably this is where Amazon are doing so so well at the moment. Essentially, like it's going to be in your benefit to have that sort of consumption model because if your clients are continuously using your product more, you're gonna you're gonna obviously make more revenue from that as a result to having like a, maybe a fixed fee in a SaaS model, whereby you know although you can drive retention from that success, it there's going to be an endpoint. But with consumption, it's going to continue to increase. Um, in mm-hmm. Completely right. agree. Amazing. Um, so the final section that we've been asking people about is um, around advice. And I guess from two perspectives. Um, so firstly, for anyone that's listening to um, the podcast that maybe wants to make that move into a customer success role, um, what would be your advice in terms of where should they start to uh, to get an understanding of what the role is and what skills they'll need to um, sort of adopt? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, look, there's been so much writing on this topic um, out there. I think you could do a couple of Google searches on you know the role of a customer success manager, and you're going to find a lot of content. Now, you got to take it all with a grain of salt to the point of our earlier discussion where because, you know, the actual role of what customer success is varies somewhat widely between the customers, uh, between the companies that, that you may get into as a CSM. Um, so I, but I, I would start with a lot of literature that's out there. Um, you know, we've got stuff on our website. We post on LinkedIn all the time about this role and what it means and, and what the skill sets are. Um, but uh, so I would say scour the internet. The thing that I would suggest to people who want to get into the role of CSM is, is find a job and get engaged with customers. Like just, just take, take, a, take a job where um, you actually can play a proactive role, do some digging and make sure that you can play a proactive role with your customers and start to learn. If you've never been in the software industry before, um, there's, a, there's a few key things that um, you'll find very quickly are key to how software subscription businesses work. And, you know, one of those is, you know, how, how the customer transitions over from sales. It's a really important moment in the customer life cycle. Um, another one might be, you know, how to field product feedback requests And the best way to learn this kind of stuff is to do it. It's not to read about it. 
So um, my suggestion is find a job where you can get in, get your hands dirty working and, and understanding what some of the common problems are managing a client in a subscription-based relationship. Yeah, fantastic. And then um, I guess leading on from, from that, so for someone that is currently a CSM or in some form of CS role um, that's looking to make that next step in terms of getting into leadership, um, what would you suggest there? Would it be, um, I guess, learning and understanding the topics that we've spoken about today, so getting their heads wrapped around yep. segmentation and being able to measure teams and implement them and stuff like that, would they be the main sort of things that you would suggest focusing on? Yeah, absolutely. The more you can get familiar with the metrics of the business and how the work that your team does impacts those is, is, it's just critical, you know, and, and um, even if you're in a big company, it's really important to understand how you, how you and your team can move the needle um, I always tell people if that if they want to make the transition into into leadership uh, or into management that they should first focus on being a leader right where they are. A lot of times, people feel like they're entitled to move into a management role, like that's the next logical career step for them. But what they don't often realize is that it's a completely different job. Being a leader of people and a manager is a completely different job than being a CSM, right? And so I think just be prepared for that in the transition. Um, and, you know, so brush up on that too. It's not just about the business and the being a product expert and, you know, understanding financials and all that kind of stuff. All, all that stuff's going to help you. But the biggest thing you have to realize is that, you know, you're going to be a leader of people, people leader, as we sometimes call them here in the U S and, um, and, People leaders have to deal with people things and people things are often a lot different than what you've dealt with as a CSM. So read about that too. get, get yourself ready for that. But I think it's a great transition. It's also one of the most challenging transitions to make, it, especially if you're transitioning from individual contributor to a manager in a company that you've worked in for a while, where you have customer relationships, where um, you have relationships with other teams that already rely on you as an individual contributor. The, <laughs> the advice that I often give people that are looking to make that transition is find a way to shed your individual contributor responsibilities as quickly as possible, because those will hinder you from becoming a real leader of people, a real manager. And, you know, when I, just a short anecdote, when I first made the transition from individual contributor to manager. Um, I, it took me like a year to transition out of my individual contributor role because I had some stuff and I felt like I was the only person that could do those things for those particular clients. And it stunted my growth. It just, it really did. And, and so I always encourage people to find a way to, you know, begin to delegate those responsibilities and transition them off to other team members so that you can really grow into that role. Cause it's such a, it's such a critical transition. That's it. I think that's, like brilliant advice so um think yeah thank you so much for that and definitely something that i mean you even hear a lot about not necessarily with just cs but definitely the differences in the skill set of actually being a leader a manager and a great individual contributor i think it's come up probably a lot in like sales stories i've heard in the past where you can have somebody that's the top performer from maybe a revenue perspective especially with like aes kind of in the new business role but then when they transition into a management role is a completely different skill set. So um, I think that's really good. Advice Absolutely. Looking to make that next step. And um, I guess to perhaps maybe just close there, I feel like I could 
go on for, for a lot longer. We've got so many <laughs> questions and you've got such great advice. So really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll probably try yeah. and get you on another episode to drill even deeper into some of these subjects that we've touched on. But I guess from from my side, I'd just like to thank you for, for joining the episode. And um, I'm Man, sure... Yeah. I know it's been a lot of value for us and then uh, also for the listeners as well. So thank Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys. I, I was flattered. You asked me to join you. So thank you. Amazing. Well, um, I, w- I guess probably just to, just to close there as well and just to give you the opportunity. Um, if people are looking to kind of find out more about you and, and, and the services that you offer, um, where, like where is the best place for them to go? Is there like a, maybe a website that they can reach you on or, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I always tell people to, to connect with us on LinkedIn first. Uh, you can find me pretty easily on LinkedIn, just, uh, customer imperative J Nathan. If you search for that, you'll, you'll find me pretty easily. Uh, you can go to our company page there and you can go to customerimperative.com, And we have a, uh, we have a journal there that we keep, which is really our blog and we have a podcast of our own. So maybe we'll have to have you guys on that at some point. And, um, so yeah, there's a lot of content there around what we, what we do and talk about. And, you know, we do 90% of our interaction with the community, which we do a lot of, but we do that on LinkedIn. So we'd love to connect with everybody there. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.